Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a two-sided tech marketplace where we're organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. I'm excited to welcome Maria Solovechik, co-founder and CEO of Synthex, to the podcast. Maria, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Ril. Thank you so much for having me. We'd love to just start off and learn about your background and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I was actually born in the Soviet Union in Belarus. After that, we immigrated to Israel when I was a kid. I grew up there and then moved to Canada when I was 13. And then I've been in Canada for graduate school. So then I immigrated to Canada when I was around 13, uh, and that's when I got most of my education. So that explains the accents <laughs> in every language at this point. Yeah, and then in Canada, I was doing some research when I was still an undergrad. I was working in a crystallography lab, part-time during the year, full-time in the summers. So just doing structural biology for a while, structure-based drug design, fragment screening, all that sort of fun stuff. From there, I ended up going into grad school in Canada as well, where I studied epigenetics and metabolism and the interlinks. Uh, and at that point, I went from in vitro systems, like we did for the biochemistry with crystallography, to more of a cell-based system, where I studied yeast, so a lot of metabolic engineering. Uh, so that was really fun. I really enjoyed how easily you can manipulate yeast to do just about anything you want them to do. So that's kind of where I fell in love with genetics and that aspect of things. And when you uh, were thinking about going to, to graduate school initially, where were you hoping that would lead you to? Yeah, so initially I was really into academia. I wanted to be a, a scientist always. Since I was a kid, I always liked nature, organisms, weird things like water bears and all sorts of extremophiles. So I just wanted to study science for the sake of studying science uh, yeah. because I thought it was really cool and very interesting. And then later, having been in academia for a bit, towards the end of my PhD, I was really trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to do in life. I realized that I wanted to do things that are more translational, things that are, will actually make changes for human health in, in my lifetime. So I was looking for more translational opportunities. I had a few postdoc offers that I was considering at the time, but then I, I realized that this is the only shot that I had to start a company if I really wanted to without being kind of swept into the world of academia mm -hmm. uh, and then having the opportunity cost be building up. So I figured uh, if not now, then when? Great. And so what are you working on now? Yeah, so the company was actually something that was an idea that we had completely parallel from what the work was that we were doing in academia. So my co-founder, Charlie, was in a lab across the hall for a while. Then he went to England for a bit and came back. So we were just kind of spitballing, how could we use cells as the machinery for drug discovery? So how can we outsource a lot of the tedious biochemical work into a system that already makes proteins? It gives you functional readouts for various things. How can we engineer more readouts into that? So the whole idea for Synthex was, could we actually build a platform that can find molecules that can disrupt protein-protein interactions, or do targeted degradation, or answer a lot of hard questions that you need a functional assay for, mm -hmm. that you often miss from the beginning? So having done phage display in grad school as well, I've, I really saw where a lot of these bottlenecks were. And then trying to think, how can we utilize yeast in our case to do that? So we came up with this idea and wrote up a little business plan. This was back in Toronto. Uh, and then tried to fundraise for that idea and seeing if we can get it from potentially private sources. Family and friends wasn't really an option because there's not a lot of infrastructure that even if you raise like five grand, there's not much you could do with that yeah. in Canada. J-Labs didn't exist at the time there. Now they have uh, made a really big presence and a big difference there. Mm. So the whole company was just initially just the idea of how can you exploit organisms to give us functional readouts and a, and a few ways that we could do that. So we just jotted down some ideas for that, put it together into a pitch deck. And we were even looking for grant funding, um, like a super postdoc mm -hmm. situation where you could do that. 
that was not as fruitful, but serendipitously around the same time, we heard about this accelerator based out of San Francisco called IndieBio. And this was something that, you know, they would give you $200,000 lab space, and then you just get to build the thing that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Most of the companies there were already established, so they already had something they were coming in with. And for us, coming in with absolutely nothing besides an idea and a list of targets that we thought would be really good targets, yeah. it was a little different. So they definitely took a chance on us. I think we were the first kind of therapeutics company that wanted to develop their own therapeutics which I'm very grateful that they did that for us. So That's that was great. great. And for those that are not familiar with, with IndieBio, if you don't mind just explaining yeah. what, what IndieBio is and what do they offer? Absolutely. So they are a biotech accelerator. There's a bunch of accelerators that exist, like Techstars, YC is a big famous one for tech companies. IndieBio was the answer to that with biotech in mind. So how do you actually help biotech companies that are young companies, often founder-driven, spin-outs, or fully ideation stage startups get that foot in the door? For us, they were incredibly helpful just with getting into the ecosystem in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. It's really hard when you don't know anybody here if you don't have the pedigree. If you're not from a Nobel laureate's lab, if you don't have a bunch of friends that are investors, it, yeah. it's it's really hard to get into it. And then Dubai gave us that shot. They, they gave us that opportunity to just meet people. They vouched for us. They gave us the space to build what we needed. The lab space that they have was perfect for us. They had everything that we needed to actually get started and do the experiments. So we did most of the things in-house, just outsourced the chemistry in the early days. And they give you 200000 Do yeah. they take some equity position in exchange? They do. Yeah. They have a convertible note structure. I see. So when you raise subsequent rounds, it converts. Got it. It's your typical model. There's a demo day at the end. Yeah, it's a four-month program officially. Okay. Uh, I think now it's gotten a little bit longer. It's a really good way to vet if an idea will work quickly. Typically, if you're given a year, you'll take a year. But if you're given four months, you'll try to get something done in the four months. Yeah. Good or bad, sometimes things get too accelerated and you should be a bit more thoughtful about it. But I think for most people, they really help with the planning of what's kind of the biggest bang for buck experiments to prove the idea to be right or not. That's great. And so uh, kind of natural segue into fundraising. And what was that experience like for you going from, you know, completing your, your postdoc to then starting a company, moving to San Francisco and yeah. not knowing anyone? So I didn't actually even end up doing a postdoc. I ended up doing this instead, which was essentially a super postdoc where you're establishing your own lab and setting up everything, as well as a mini MBA on the side where you're learning all the other operational side of a business, how to handle finances, how to deal with budgeting, investors, banking, in our case, immigration, all the fun things that are in the back end of running a company, yeah. uh, which was really fun. I feel like, I think as scientists, we're really good at learning new things. And if you have the right mindset that everything is something that you get to learn as opposed to have to learn, I really embraced that and everything that I was exposed to, I got to learn about it. So that was really fun. Also, in the accelerator program, you're surrounded by other companies. I think in our batch, it was 15 other total companies, so 14 other people or groups to learn from. Yeah. So that was really fun. So that was how we, you know, figured out tax deadlines and yeah. <laughs> and how to get that part of the business running. Cool. Uh, learning by doing has been the best in, in our case. In terms of your seed round of financing, were you able to tap into primarily the indie bio system or did you have to go out and establish a lot of your own relationships? Yeah, I think just like any accelerator, they're good at making introductions, but it's your company and yeah. you're the one who cares the most about it. Yeah. So they would make initial introductions. A lot of people were actually were flocking to indie bio just out of curiosity of what they're doing. So we had a lot of inbound investor interest just from folks that heard about it and wanted to see what the companies do. Yeah. And uh, we were the only therapeutics companies in that batch. So we were getting a lot of attention 
mentioned from the therapeutics geared investors. A lot of them were tech investors that have never really done bio. And we welcome that because I think people are trying to diversify in what they've been invested in. And the more investments that we have in healthcare, the better we're all for it. So yeah, we were very supportive of that. Although there was a balance of how much risk your investors will take. And for a lot of tech folks, I felt like they weren't as up to speed on how long a biotech takes to inflect. Yeah. There's no revenue until, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. way past clinical trials. So yeah. it's a harder business model. It's longer time horizon. So for most fund structures, it was a little bit different. It, it was just a matter of finding the right people. Yeah. But because you're in the Bay Area, there's just so many people around that are already of that mindset. They enjoy risk. They want to be involved in up and coming technologies. They have belief that certain people can do it. So it was just a matter of filtering for mutual fit. We had almost like 100 investor meetings there at IndieBio. Yeah. And then closed around almost a year later. That's great. And how's company building been going post-financing? It's been fine. I feel like the best part has been uh, like handpicking your team, uh, really having control over who you work with, making sure that people are properly incentivized, that they feel valued, that they care about what they're working on. Also deciding on what projects we're working on, if things are just dragging no longer makes sense, cutting that, changing the direction to make sure that we're working on relevant uh, questions as opposed to just, you know, making figure 4D, <laughs> making figure 1A. Yeah. Every experiment is supposed to be figure 1A as opposed to a supplementary, yeah. uh, even though you do need us on the back end, but essentially the go-no-go decisions are being made from those main experiments. Right. How, how has hiring and building out the team been in, in San Francisco and, and how's the San Francisco ecosystem? Yeah, I feel like on the ecosystem side, there's so many great people here working in pharma. So for a lot of our development, a lot of the things that aren't necessarily involved with the basic science that we're doing in the lab, but help us make the decisions of the basic science, we have had a lot of great advisors. So we're also part of this California Life Science Association. Uh, we went through their institute's FAST program, which connected us with a lot of advisors from pharma companies that have been helping us think about decision making, kind of the target candidate profiles that we want, things along those lines. Yeah. But then recruiting for scientists. So right now, all of our hires mostly have been PhDs uh, straight out of academia uh, in the States or even abroad. We've gotten visas for some people. Mm. Uh, and it's just mostly a fit of talent and curiosity. So we hire for people that genuinely are interested in what we're working on because we can't lure them with high salaries. This isn't really a game that you win with money. Yeah. <laughs> and this is more of a, a growth opportunity for them to learn about biotechs from the really early days, as well as being involved in decision making, getting to build their own departments in the long run. At what point did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, so actually, I never did. <laughs> I, it, I never really thought I'll be into business. I, yeah very much introverted i even public speaking in the beginning was very anxious uh, now you kind of get really used to it after a while yeah. i think confidence really comes from data and having success on the science side yeah. for me at least so the more data we got the, the better i got at the extroverted part yeah. of the job but entrepreneurship practically came from not necessarily necessity but because i didn't see anything like what we had proposed exist uh, initially, if I did, I would probably go work for that company. But then I kind of, after a while, kept thinking, why not Why not us? Why not me? And then I, I thought this is the time to try it. If I had ended up either in a, in a postdoc that geared me towards maybe a professorship or in a pharma company, it would have been really hard for me to leave. Yeah. Once you have a stable salary and job prospects, I feel like it's, it's a tough decision to backtrack. Yeah. And at the time, four years ago now, it was kind of the perfect window where I could have taken such a risk. Yeah. 
for, let's say, some of our younger listeners that have aspirations of perhaps starting their own biotech or something in the life sciences, what's that journey been like for you to be a young founder in a relatively new city? I think the Bay Area is particularly favorable towards young founders. There's a diversity of ideas that lives here that is hard to match in terms of especially crazy things that aren't companies that are based off of a really diverse asset that's being spun out. But this is just like completely weird things that as long as they're physically possible and the society needs, people will fund it. Yeah. Uh, so it's been fun just being around this kind of a, an ecosystem. Uh, at the same time, there's definitely a lot of things going up against you. You don't necessarily have a lot of experience in certain areas. I think basic science, we're great at drug development is something we're learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, having investors that are looking favorably at creating the next generation of biotech CEOs as opposed to recycling the same folks has been really great in the Bay Area. We've yeah. had a lot of investors that have been very supportive of that. They've been helping us in places where we're not necessarily the strongest. Also with just advisors outside uh, of our investor networks, having them supplement our knowledge gaps. Yeah. Yeah, I've always found that San Francisco was a lot more accepting of young, particularly biotech CEOs compared to Massachusetts, as an example. I, yeah. think, I think primarily because of there's been so many successful biotechs where now the alumni of those biotechs are, are getting leadership positions and, and there isn't, uh, I think there's an absence of younger entrepreneurs there relative to here. Yeah, I'm very grateful. There's a lot of funds now that are raising dedicated bio funds just to fund young founder-driven yeah. biotechs. There's been such a gap in the ecosystem. So yeah, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. I think it's been a, a great intersection of time yeah. and luck in yeah. our case. If you were to go back to your grad school days or when you were first starting out the company, are there any you know, poignant lessons learned that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think in the beginning I was probably a little too shy. I would wait until we had everything buttoned up before speaking to people. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I feel like a lot of the interest that we've had has been people that we were just talking to completely not seriously. It's like the famous ask for money, get advice, ask for advice, get money. Yeah. Uh, so for a lot of the folks that we were just generally just asking questions, trying to get their, their take on clinical trial development, candidate selection. In the really early days, so they've been the ones that have been incredibly helpful. And, and we were initially just super shy about reaching out and then realized you lose more by not trying. Yeah than you do by being ghosted. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> just taking a bit more chances in the early days, I feel like we're very Canadian <laughs> when yeah. we were starting out. And if we, again, go back to some of our, our younger listeners, yeah. what's the journey been like for you? Or you know, is there anything that you would want to share with folks that are thinking about starting their own biotech? Absolutely. I feel like there's a lot of legwork you can do before you actually venture out. Uh, so just vetting your idea in terms of market need uh, is the technology you're building something that's cool, but it's just, you know, nobody's really looking for something like that. Or you're addressing a problem. So I think the best perspective that I had to look at it is don't look for a solution, look for a really hard problem. So articulate the problem very well and then try to fit a solution into that as opposed to starting from the technology that you've developed in grad school and you're mm -hmm. trying to spin that out. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of companies now, uh, we've been in uh, 3 Bio, yeah. another incubator afterwards in J-Labs in San Francisco. So you see a lot of companies going through, a lot of people are working in cool technologies, but the application side is really critical, making sure that the patent landscape is favorable. So we got lucky in the sense that we didn't need to deal with tech transfer offices because everything was just a, scr a scratch and a napkin at the time. <laughs> so we got to learn about IP law ourselves yeah. without having that infrastructure, so pros and cons. But having a supportive academic environment if you're spinning out of technology is great because you get access to the trans tech transfer office. Yeah. 
uh, get them to help you building the idea out and, and kind of fleshing out what it could be. Uh, some tech transfer offices, especially in the Bay Area, generally in California, would help you actually connect with investors to spin that up. There's accelerators like IndieBio. I think it's one of the few that actually has lab spaces. Now there's Age One mm -hmm. that focuses on aging startups. YC started getting into bio, but I don't know if they provide lab spaces yet. So it depends on how far along your company already is. If you're incubated inside of a university, that's fantastic. That makes it a little bit easier to reach out for more sources of funding. But it's definitely gotten a lot easier to get that initial funding. I mean, it's still very hard, especially for outsiders. Uh, and a lot of people do want to see that being vouched for by someone you know. Yeah. So don't be afraid to reach out to alumni from these accelerators. I've definitely had people reaching out to me asking if their idea is something in line with IndieBio and I would help them kind of craft their pitch if I thought that it was a good fit. Yeah. Not to waste their time. Asking for feedback. What's what's next for Syntax? Yeah, so Syntax has been growing organically. We uh, now have two programs that we're developing compounds for. One is already in the preclinical stage. That's kind of further along. It's actually a really cool program that we hope to publish on one day, although right now it's <laughs> priorities are a little different. So we are hoping to get into the clinic in the next year or two. Great. Based on how the progress is, as well as actually establishing a really solid pipeline of programs that are targeting things that have been difficult to reach so far. Are you focusing on any particular therapeutic areas right now? Mostly oncology. Okay. In the beginning, we were trying to decide if we should be a bit more general, but staying focused is important. And both Charlie and I, our backgrounds have been in the oncology universe. We understand the signaling pathways, the, the targets pretty well, especially the preclinical models and the clinical trial design. Mm -hmm. For oncology, has been a bit more straightforward. Initially, we were thinking about orphan diseases, which I think is a really important area of research. It's just a lot harder for a startup to do a clinical trial for an orphan disease. So that was one of the decision points of going in for oncology. Well, Maria, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us. It was a, it was a pleasure learning about you, your entrepreneurial journey, and, and what you guys are up to at Syntex and all the exciting work happening here. Thanks so much, Ro. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech2050pod. Again, that's Biotech2050pod. Until next time.